Well, I have some bad news, Chris. Huh. After the week I've had, I can take it. I mean, basically, we've been seeing movies for awards season all day, so I kind of forgot to write the cold open for the show. What show? This show. But what are we doing now? Um, I'm opening, I guess. And what's the temperature like outside? Fucking cold. That'll do, pig. Mm. Oh, and also beer. Welcome in from the cold snowmen and snowwomen out there in Digiland, and welcome to another exciting and heartwarming episode of Digital Noise right here on oneofus.net. And I also want to extend a very special welcome to all of the newbies. Seems like we've had an influx of newbies lately, and uh, welcome to what is essentially that show we were doing before, but on a new station with a new name. You're not new. You've always been here with us. With one of us. One of us. One of us. us. Hey, by the way, listen for an exclusive shout out to this website in the new Martin Scorsese film. Uh, yeah, this is our Blu-ray and DVD review show. And right now we are in the thrust of the holiday season. So in addition to reviewing the weekly stuff as we're doing right now, as we're going to do for you as soon as I stop babbling. We're half dead. We're half dead. (laughs) Yeah, no, we are very, very tired. We are also doing uh, gift guides that you might have seen called All I Want for Geekmas. The first one is up on the site covering our favorite box sets, our favorite Criterions, and our favorite Scream Factory releases. And we'll be doing some more of those as we go along. But we didn't want to deprive you from... You know, the show that you know and love. Yeah, the, like, DVDs that we review that come out each week, as opposed to the ones that came out six months ago or something. Otherwise, after all the gift guides, we would just have to do one show that was, like, eight hours long. Very true. And the goal is to try and avoid eight-hour shows. Yeah. People are like, I want you to do a 24-hour straight <laughs> show live. No. 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 I guess, I guess we can't do that. Um, but we do have some very special holiday surprises coming up for you. I don't want to ruin too much. But uh, suffice to say that December is going to be a very big month to the website. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming up left and right that is going to make some people very happy. So happy. We are fulfilling all of your holiday wishes before you even ask, or in some cases, after you've been asking for a long time and we had to file a restraining order. Or things that you never even knew you wanted. And even after they happen, you're still not entirely sure. (laughs) That is true. Well, hey, I never mentioned it, but I am Brian Salisbury. And I am Christopher Lawrence Cox. And we are without the bearded one who is doing an early toy run. Uh, No, not Santa Claus, Luke Mullen. Same difference. Same difference. But, uh, yeah, we're here to review the releases. I would put a date on it, but I don't even know what today is, much less what week we're actually reviewing here. So, it's nebulous. If you love doing the show, why don't you put a date on it? <laughs> if you like it, then you're supposed to put a date on it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Well, Digital Noise, just like all the content on oneofus.net, is available on iTunes. Just search one of us in the podcast section. You can also follow this show on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash us. And we have our Amazon links. We've actually linked every single show, every podcast, every blog post, every news piece. Uh, at the bottom, you will see this big present that says, All I Want for Geekmas. That will take you to a random item on Amazon. You don't have to buy that item. But just buy something. If you buy anything getting there that way, we get a cut of that purchase, and that really helps to benefit the site, and we appreciate it. Very true. Makes our holiday season bright. 
And one of the other things that makes our holiday season very bright is getting to talk to you guys via... The Letterboxd. You've got mail. The letterbox. Thank you, Torgo. You may now crawl back into your Santa hole. Uh, we have some very good questions that came at very good questions. You can tell how much I prepared for this show. I've been running around all day. <laughs> very good. Let me pick one now. Very good questions. Like I'm some third grader. Ooh, Jesus ooh, Christ. Ooh, ooh, ooh. He's <laughs> pointing at the question. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a question here. How do you feel about... Oh, this is from Shannon Grant. How do you feel about 24 hours of a Christmas story on TBS? Do you feel it takes away from the enjoyment of the movie slash becomes an annoyance rather than a whimsical little marathon? I think in this day and age of DVDs and sudden streaming, what the hell is the point of a 24-hour marathon of one thing? Um, It's awesome. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> I, I, like, I mean, I like Christmas Story. I didn't grow up with it the way most people did. Mm-hmm. I only watched it for the first time a few years ago, and I thought, oh, this is really cute. I like this. But, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I would be – I would not – for a all-day marathon of Buckaroo Banzai or Lord of the Rings. I'm like, what's the point? Yeah. It's just just for me, okay? I know some people have that that makes them feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those people. One of those fuzzy people. I was like, oh, good. A Christmas story is still on. Click. It's just, it's like, it's like the Yule log for me. It's just something that on Christmas Day I have on in the background and it makes me feel warm and it makes me, it reminds me that it is in fact Christmas. And I, and I think it is because I did grow up with it. I mean, when you are, when you're raised in Indiana and even though the movie wasn't shot in Indiana, it's set in Indiana, it's such like a, a, a treasure for our state. So, so are you just going to watch it over and over again? Is that what you're saying? Is that what? No, saying? see, that's, uh, that's a good point. I don't sit there and watch it from start to finish you several times. You just like times. to turn it on any time and it's on. Exactly. You As know? opposed to the fact that you own the DVD. I do. You could start it from the beginning anytime you want. Yeah, and actually the Blu-ray release, uh, we were joking about this the other night, the Blu-ray release, the special like collector's edition 10 for A Christmas Story that came out a couple years ago, had a package of fake snow, but it was in a tiny little baggie <laughs> and I was looking at it and I was like, did they really just put what looks to be cocaine into this? It, I mean, what is the street value of fake snow? They these just days? changed the label on it from the stuff that came with the special edition of the movie Blow. There you go. Yeah. Pure uncut snow. That's what we're dreaming of a white Christmas here, just like Bing. <laughs> uh, our second question comes from Michael uh, Riojas, who asks, are there any holiday themed episodes of TV shows that really stick with you more than others? Uh, he gave a great example of the. Christmas with the Joker from Batman the Animated Series. That's an excellent example, yeah. Um, there's certainly a lot over the years I've really enjoyed, but honestly, my most recent favorite, and one I've been going back to since they aired it, was there was, and I'm going to forget the name of it, but it was a few years back on the Matt Smith run of Doctor Who, where they did their version of A Christmas Carol, which was not only the best Doctor Who Christmas special, but one of the best Christmas specials I've seen, period, and one of my favorite weird takes on A Christmas Carol. Absolutely wonderful, uh, really inventive, has sharks that fly. Flying sky sharks. Okay? I don't. I don't see a problem with this. Yeah, I'm like, there's nothing more Christmassy than Santa behind a a uh, like Santa Doctor Who with a TARDIS attached to a group of flying sky sharks instead of reindeer. Yeah, I mean, I would watch that. I would watch that on a 24 hour loop, uh, right along with the Christmas story. I would flip back and forth between. Uh, you'll shoot your eye out and watch out for those flying sky sharks. <laughs> Let's not forget about, of course. The Venture Brothers Christmas special, which a lot of people who never bought the DVDs don't even know existed because it wasn't on the regular run of the show. You have to picture – as far as I know, they didn't air it initially. I'm sure at some point along the way they may have run it uh, out out of order. But I believe it's the first DVD set 
one of the extras is the Venture Brothers Christmas special, which is really fucking funny and features my favorite new Christmas villain, the Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> the Krampus. Um, I mean, for me, comedy-wise, I love almost all of the the League Christmas episodes are always a lot of fun. Yeah. But the episode, like, if there was going to be, if I can only choose one episode, uh, a Christmas episode of a TV show to add into the rotation along with the Christmas movies, it would definitely be the Christmas episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Mm. It is such a moving and power. Like, that show, you know, Sorkin had this great ability to be really, really funny, even do a little bit of slapstick at, at times, and then still have this really heart heartfelt and, and uplifting message kind of sneak up on you. And that Christmas episode ends with some displaced jazz musicians from New Orleans playing Christmas music at the end of their show. And it's just, that's all it is, but it's so moving. Well, he had a way of being sweet and heartfelt without being triacally at all. Exactly. Uh, more, more often than not, he got away with it brilliantly uh, on West Wing as well, which I still think is his best thing he ever did for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good specials out there. I mean, you should just Google, like, best television specials of all time, and you'll look through it and be like, oh, my God, I forgot about that one. Oh, I forgot about that one. One Christmas, we did an orphan's Christmas at my house, where it was like everybody was still in town, or didn't have family, or they were ready to go away from their family yeah. <laughs> after a couple hours, came over, went all day long, made a big potluck, and I assembled a collection of back and forth between movies and and best ever television Christmas specials, and mm-hmm. it was a big hit. Okay. Well, let's not forget Christmas in Eternia. I mean, that is really part of the I... staple of Christmas classics, I think. Hmm. Hmm. There, was there another question? <laughs> There's loads more questions, but I'm actually going to save them for future episodes. So thank you guys very much. We're going to close the letterbox, slide it back under the tree. Thanks for submitting your questions. And now it's time to dive into the reviews. And just going to remind you one more time that everything we talk about, there will be a link to Amazon right below the audio link you're listening to right now. Or, hey, if you're listening on iTunes, go over to the site for crying out loud, oneofus.net. And anything you click on, uh, if you click on the links, anything you buy from Amazon, once you get there from the link, benefits the site. Thank you very much. And we're going to start this week with the Wolverine. Well, why not? I mean... Because we love Michigan football. (laughs) I don't know what that means. <laughs> it was actually the Wolverines was the uh, mascot at one of the schools I went to, so that's why I love Wolverines. When so it was a, when did. it was attacked by Cuba and Russia simultaneously. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it actually was our mascot when that came out, so you can imagine that oh our school God. lost their goddamn minds oh, for that movie, yeah. which didn't make it any better because I was at the time not the world's biggest fan of that movie. This mm-hmm. is this is a weird crossover of our lives. Is that you went to a school? That had the Wolverines as a mascot when Red Dawn came out, and I was born the year Red Dawn came out. Isn't that True. crazy? Well, son, there's something I should tell <laughs> God you. God damn it. <laughs> Anywho, this is, of course, James Mangold's take on uh, on the classic comic book character after he's only had, I think up to this point, like 17 solo movies. So I'm really glad that they did another one. <laughs> now, I mean, to be fair, he's only had one other solo movie. But let's face it, the first three X-Men movies by Brian Singer and then Brett whatever yeah first two brian singer third one brett ratner x-men origins by i forget his name yeah pretty much every x-men movie except for x-men first class has been about wolverine i mean they recognize the popularity of this character they have put him front and center for every cinematic inter almost every cinematic interpretation of the x-men so that's kind of one of the things that kept me at arm's length when i heard this was coming out i couldn't get real excited about it because i was like man except first class yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. almost every movie except First Class. And But when this came out, 
when this was coming out, I was just like, you know, kind of over Wolverine. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to tell you, for me, the reason this excited me was, A, they were going with the director who was a proven director, who while not everything he did was great, he's done some movies I loved, like Walk the Line and 310 to Yuma and Copland. Yeah, the 310 to Yuma remake is great, as is Copland. Very underappreciated movie, Copland. Amazing. And a movie that most people think Scorsese directed, which is a hell of a fucking compliment to Mangle. It's Scorsese-ish. Yes, it is. But... The other big thing about this is this is based on, to, to, for my money and for a lot of people's money, quite frankly, the best single ever Wolverine story run, which was a 1982 limited series by Chris Claremont, the guy who pretty much invented the new X-Men, you know, with Wolverine and Cyclops and those guys, and Frank Miller, who was doing the art, not writing it, so therefore it's not crazy. <laughs> that, therefore, Wolverine doesn't call anyone a whore. Yeah, he does not call anyone a whore. And this is, while still a good deal different from that original run, it manages to capture so many of the things that stood out about that original series, even if it's just iconic moment moments from it. Like, there's a sequence where he's just filled with arrows that are all tied to ropes. It's, like, right out of, like, Frank Miller's art in the comic book. I was like, oh, it's that moment, like, that was awesome. <laughs> you know? But there's a lot of stuff that's, like, not there at all. And it goes a drastically different direction with its last act, to be sure. That being said, while this is far from a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination, it is a lot of fun. It's very enjoyable. And it makes up like crazy for X-Men Origins Wolverine, which was just an utter piece of shite. Was it? I feel like – Yeah, no, it was terrible. I can't even pretend to defend it. Yeah, I know. You you realize now you're going to hell just for pretending to defend it for half a second? Dude, I was going there anyway. That's the rule. (laughs) <laughs> I read the rule. It said that it mentioned you by name. Yeah, it was in the Necronomicon. I saw <laughs> it, it. In, in the uh, in the appendices. When you find an old book in an old cabin, don't read it. Don't it's just read that it. easy. <laughs> Is this written in blood? I don't know. What's it say? Anyway. <laughs> 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 Why would that help you know if it was written in blood? Well, maybe it says what the typeface is. That should be a red flag. <laughs> Ooh, it's uh, in Antiqua. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, sorry, the Wolverine. Oh, right, yeah. Um, here, uh, we, okay, so first off, forget everything you saw in the last Wolverine movie. Done. Because hopefully you didn't even see it. And it Thanks to amnesia bullets, I have. It doesn't really matter, but we see... Like a flashback to Wolverine held in Japanese POW camp in in 1945 near Nagasaki. Wait, um, wait, wait. 1945 Nagasaki. Something happened. I don't I feel like what. something big went off at that time. Yeah. It was a uh, fat man, I believe. <laughs> a fat and, boy. <laughs> and uh, Logan escapes from this pit where he's being held prisoner and saves a Japanese officer named Mishida and shields him from the blast because Wolverine, as we all know, can take pretty much anything you throw at him, including a atom bomb, apparently. Focused to years and years and years and years later, Logan's kind of like, like, fuck you, everybody, leave me alone. He's hallucinating Jean Grey, who we all know died in the third one. He's having a bad day, basically. And he is found by a mutant Yukio, if you read the original series, who's like, look, there's this rich dude who wants to help you, wants to talk to you, and, and wants to pay, owes you a debt. It turns out that's that rich dude. Problem is, not everything is as it seems. There's a bunch of Japanese people with different, like, ideas of what they want out of the situation. Uh, a lot of familiar villains you'll see along the way from the series. Uh, and ultimately, he's got to find himself, he finds himself in a situation that not only is he going to have to fight and fight with honor to do the right thing, but at least for part of it, he's got to do it without his healing abilities. Yes. Which is, I mean, that, that is the more interesting part of the movie is when you have a hero who, no longer has the the power that he's relied on. Although I, d- I appreciated that they didn't go too... There was a, a, a hint of it. 
of a thing that that kind of bugs me about superhero movies right now, which is that all almost all superhero movies are about superheroes not wanting to be superheroes. Sure, there's a touch of that in this, but it never goes all out to the point that we spend huge chunks of the movie seeing a Wolverine with no powers. Well, because it explores the idea of like asking him, saying like, mm-hmm. "Look, man, you as far as you know are mortal. You've lived forever. You're obviously tired and exhausted." I think I figured out how to let you die if you want to die. And that's early on in the film. Mm -hmm. And he really barely considers it. So it's not like he spends most of the movie moping around going, I want to, no, I want to die. So it's not one of those. Same time, we've seen elements like this in Spider-Man 2. We've seen elements like this in Superman 2. It's just here it does really feel different. All the taking place in Japan stuff makes a big difference. The ninjas and samurais and cool stuff like that. Uh, And one heck of a spectacular action sequence on top of a bullet train. That bullet train stuff was pretty incredible. Yeah, I really actually enjoyed the hell out of this. Like I said, it's not perfect. It's got some acting issues, to be sure. I thought the character of Viper, who's in here, is one okay, of the villains. Okay, I was going to ask you, is that a real Wolverine villain? Yes. God, that, that character is terrible. Not just the actress, but like, I was just like, really? So your ability is that you're Poison Ivy. You yep. are the Marvel version of Poison Ivy. She's not in, always been one of my favorite characters. I mean, they've used her well in some stuff, but no, not not the world's biggest fan of that character. I did like Japanese Hawkeye. I thought he <laughs> yeah. was pretty cool. Well, yeah, there's a lot of these guys who showed up who are based very different versions of characters we saw in that original run and the stuff that followed it here. But like I said, the the base story we saw there, it's here, but it's not really at the same time. But one of the coolest things about here, stay till the end, because... Oh, damn it. You, oh, you did you not? I did not. I can't believe... I, oh, the mid-credits scene. I know scene. better. I know better there's than to turn it off in the credits scene that's rolling. a prequel to Days of Future Past. Oh, God damn it. So you're definitely going to say stay for that. Um, okay. Because, it's uh, pretty fucking cool, too. It's one of the stupid. better of those teaser scenes I've seen. Now, of course, you're like, well, okay, but what am I getting here that makes this more worth my while on a Blu-ray? Oh, boy. Well, there's like 53-minute look at the samurai ninja aspect of the story, which takes a look at his roots in the Marvel comic books, interviews with the cast, yada, yada. It's, it's a making of that focuses on the difference because it's in Japan. Uh, there's a minute and 36 alternate ending that I didn't get to watch, but I hear it's really not all that different. One cool thing is two-and-a-half-minute set tour of X-Men Days of Future Past. I thought that was really cool. It's it's basically Brian Singer coming, like, the camera's open on him sitting in Xavier's office and just taking around, like, yep, this is Xavier's office in the 70s. Yeah, here's uh, – and in, in fact – there maybe this is maybe that's the connection. I remember watching the tour and thinking, "Wow, those sets kind of look Japanese too." It was probably because they were like filmed the crossover, and then uh, and then he goes into Cerebro as well. So it's 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 pretty cool. Uh, one big disappointment here, and one of those and other things like they're fucking with you. If you get the regular Blu-ray of this, it's the regular cut, theatrical cut. If you want to see the director's cut of this, which is apparently slightly longer and they, slightly bloodier, uh, I've heard they did not send it to us. Nope. Because you, it's the, you have to buy the one that comes with the 3D Blu-ray. Yeah, that's that's kind of shitty. I yeah, mean, I thought so too. I, I mean, like it's it's one thing maybe to include some exclusive content on the 3D version, but seriously, the unrated version you can only get on the like. <sighs> yeah, yep. that's cheap. That's I cheap. Really Fox. don't like this move that's going on now. I mean, people they they charge a lot for these things, and the fact that mm-hmm. they're trying to like who the hell is double dipping this stuff anyway? I mean, if you don't have a Blu-ray 3D player, you're gonna force them to to buy a, a 3D Blu-ray set just for the. Yeah, it's just it's really it's it's hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? It's shady. It's it's very underhanded. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Wolverine, uh, kind of the way Chris said, just sort of, it was good, it was entertaining, 
but far from even my top ten favorite superhero movies. Oh, yeah, no, it's not in my top ten, although, you know, I would probably say uh, in order of favorites of the X-Men movies, X2 is still my favorite, mm-hmm. uh, followed by Days of Future Past, and I would actually put this before... You mean First Class? I'm sorry, First Class, I was yes, gonna, sorry. I was say, have you already seen that? You uh, tell me right now. Uh, Damn it. Uh, hold on, let me press this button. That's, we can't do that. <laughs> Damn it, where did he go? He kitty pried it out of here. Damn you. Uh, yeah, actually, I, like, looking back at the X-Men, I loved the first one when it first came out, but it feels more dated now. Like, there's so many mistakes in it. You're like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. And you still have to listen to that Halle Berry line about the same thing that happens to everything I, else. I just feel bad for Joss Whedon every time I hear that line because, I mean, he wrote that and was all proud of it with the way that he did it. And then she, like, it was one of those, like, we don't want the writer on set type of deals. And she was, like, the director was even telling her, no, 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 you say it like like this. You say, eh, and then she same just, thing that happens to everything else. She's like, no, that didn't sound right. I'm going to do it this way. And was a was a prima donna about it. And she made the line not make any sense in the context so of the film. terrible as Storm. You guys, Halle Berry is just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that is the one thing to take away from a movie she's not in. They need to give her the mohawk. Yeah, no doubt. So we're going to move on from the, uh, the Wolverine to Argo, the declassified edition. Now, I didn't get this particular release, but I have, of course, seen Argo. So what is different, Chris, about the declassified edition versus the regular Blu-ray release? Well, I mean, first off here, of course, Argo is Ben Affleck's uh, 2012 American political film that, if you don't know, you must not really watch movies since it took Best <laughs> Picture <laughs> at the Academy Awards, uh, I believe at the Golden Globes, too. Um, so this is a great story about like a bunch of guys who are caught in Iran in 1979, uh, when they, they took all the hostages, but six guys who got away, but they're staying with the Canadian ambassador and hiding out there and a plan by a CIA, uh, guy, uh, played by Ben Affleck to bring those people back out using a trick that they're filming a movie to create a huge elaborate the, fake movie. He's going to go in there and get them, pretend they're a Canadian film crew because Americans are not allowed to leave Iran. Yeah. There's nobody in or out if you're American. Uh, so he's going to go over there, teach them to be a film crew, and then say, we're a Canadian film crew shooting a sci-fi movie here. We need to go back to Canada. Now, you ask, why would I need – they already put this out on Blu-ray. Why would I need this version? Well, if you remember back, for those of you who love Ben Affleck as a director like I do, so far he's three for three, like – you know, five-star movies, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. Uh, when they re-released The Town in a special edition, they just knocked it out of the park. It was a director's cut. It came with all this, like, hard, you know, actual material and their cool stuff, maps and shit like that, and tons of bonus features. They're not going to disappoint with this either. Uh, it's uh, has a 64-page behind-the-scenes hardcover book which is pretty badass, a 16 by 20 map with scene-specific notes, a replica Tony Mendez, which is Ben Affleck's character, ID badge, a mini poster of Argo. Oh, a mini poster for the fake movie? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. A CIA confidential envelope. I mean, that's pretty cool. But you've also got uh, new and exclusive special features. This is an extended cut, about 10 minutes. It's not that the 10 minutes is really an improvement. It does add a few scenes, but it doesn't hurt it either. There's nothing in here you're like, ah, I can see why they left it out. It's Mm. all like, oh, those are good scenes. Just nothing is going to really turn your head. But, hey, cool to have on there as well. Uh, There's a second disc, of course, that comes with most of the extra special features, including a sort of Argo declassified that looks at the history of the real story, which is definitely what you want to see because this is based on a true story. Uh, Look at Ben Affleck being a director and acting sort of like – which is cool because I want to know more about him as a director now. He fascinates me on that level. Sure. One of the reasons – that's one of the main reasons I was upset about him being cast as Batman. It's not that I think he's going to do a terrible job. It's that I'd rather him focus on directing movies. I would rather him direct 
respect that movie. Yeah. I'm yeah. just saying, Zack Snyder, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, discussion with the cast of Argo, the real Tony Mendez on Tony Mendez and talking about it, uh, and a couple other things, including the origin of the now-famed phrase, Argo, fuck yourself. Argo, fuck yourself. But this is well worth your time. This is an excellent, uh, excellent like re-release. It gives you everything you want, includes all the previously released bonus content, including a PIP uh, deal. Um, which actually has uses interviews with survivors, the actual people. Huh. On you know, like picture in picture has little pop ups where it's usually people. Well, here in this scene, what we did here, it's the actual people saying, "Oh, well, what happened in real life was like." Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty fucking cool. Definitely. Uh, a bunch of other stuff that came with the original one. I mean, this is a solid collection and well worth your. It's well worth the double dip. Right on. Well, that was the declassified version of Argo, and from there we're gonna get away. No, do we have to? We're, we're, we can't get away from the fact that we have to review Get Away. I'm just, I'm not going to sing it. I told myself I wasn't going to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Get Away was a movie that came out this year. It was. Anyway, our next title is... Yeah, I, w- yeah, I wish. Yeah. Um, so, I didn't get a chance to see this in theaters, but I do remember... I did. I do remember Luke was working in Dallas at the time, and he went to a midnight screening because, you know, Luke tries to see everything. And I just remember the vitriol that he was spitting about this movie and how it was one of the worst things he'd seen this year. And I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe it's not so bad. I pop it in and I'm like, oh, no, I, I agree totally. Well, that's the thing with Luke is, like, as much as I do respect his opinion, he always backs up what he has to say. He can come out of left field sometimes with he stuff can. that he likes that's horrible or hates that's actually really good. And I'm like, wow, where did that come from? So, you know, if I were you, I would have gone like, I would have done the same thing. Maybe I'll check this out for myself. I was afraid you were going to say he loved it. No, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Be- this this because, movie. Yeah, even though this is the latest from the Jason Blumhouse productions, the the micro, uh, isn't it? Am I wrong? No, it's from After Dark. Oh, is it? I'm sorry. You're and right, it is. I'm After sorry. Dark uh, is a company that made low-budget horror films for a long time. They had their own, like... They call it a film festival. What it really was was a distribution model where they buy up a bunch of small independent horror films and show them at, I think, one or two movie theaters yeah. just kind of all at once. And eventually just switch to a model of just releasing a box set yeah. instead of that and then eventually not even that. Now it's just separate titles. And now they've moved into action and I am not happy about it because I've actually seen uh, – when I was at Action Fest a couple of years ago, After Dark Action brought a couple of movies – and they were both – not only were they bad movies, but they wouldn't give the festival even a decent DCP. So everything was yellow. The sound was shitty. I'm like, this is really what you want people to see. And Getaway, I, to its credit, I guess, did doesn't look terrible. Yeah. But – man, that is tepid praise. But it is terrible. <laughs> it I mean, even looks terrible at points. I'm well, sorry. it's because they use GoPro. They actually use GoPro cameras in their – in their driving shots, which when which, you hear that, you think, well, that's actually kind of a cool idea. They don't do it very well because most of the GoPro stuff is like at weird angles like under the fender or inside the car. Well, and the biggest problem here is that could have worked if they had a halfway decent editor. Mm-hmm. But this is such a mess the way it's put together that you, you're you supposed to be excited by these driving, fast driving scenes with Ethan Hawke behind the wheel uh, with uh, – what's her face? Selena Gomez oh, trying God. desperately to act – well, obviously not trying that desperately. No, she's trying. Lamely to act scared beside him, that you still don't know what's going on. Like you should feel some degree of like danger, but it just looks like it's just too crazy. It's too chaotic. Uh, it was, you know, the I was with a friend of mine who usually doesn't care about that sort of stuff. He's like, ah, whatever. I could tell what was happening. And this, he was like, no, you're right. This was just like a 
colorful swash of images when in a car, any sort of car action sequence, and you mm. had no clue what was going on during well, it. Well, I think this – I would – in. In any other universe, I think I'd be willing to give this movie a pass for its car stunts, but we live in the universe where the Fast and Furious franchise exists. Yes. And they have figured out how to choreograph and film smash, uh, smash em up action sequences with automobiles. This movie could not figure that. For as many cars as they destroyed, for as much destruction and chaos as they have going on behind the wheel, that should, in the hands of, like you said, a different editor and a different cinematographer, should look and be amazing, an amazing aspect of this movie, even if we have to deal with Selena Gomez. Unfortunately, for all the cars they smash up, it's just not that. It's pretty boring. I mean, for the record, the plot, Ethan Hawke, former race car driver, gets home, finds his wife missing, gets a phone call, a man known as The Voice, who they strangely put his name on the poster, which was pretty stupid considering it's supposed to be a big mystery, yeah. and ultimately his identity means absolutely nothing to you as a viewer, but uh says, I kidnap your wife and you must follow the set of instructions precisely in order to be reunited with uh, with your wife. Sends him down to steal a specially customized Mustang, pretty badass car, at least it should be. We sh- I should have enjoyed this goddamn it. really should have. Uh, and says, follow the instructions specifically or die. And along the way, he ends or up... Or she dies. Yeah, he ends up... Uh, yeah, he ends up picking up Selena Gomez, who's basically trying to break into the car, which turns out is her car, which had been stolen weeks beforehand. Uh, and they form a reluctant bond, yada yada, on the way as they try to figure out how to outwit the voice. And of course, he's got cameras all inside the car. So it's, it's not found footage, but he uses that to kind of be like, I know what you're doing at all times. And then he's got... I mean, this guy really has cameras everywhere. I mean, this is the most elaborate scheme imaginable for what ends up being just a, just because I wanted to type of a thing. Like, there's no, like, they even go out of their way. The last shot of this movie is them pulling back while he's on the phone, up into space, going to the satellite that's relaying the call to the other satellite, and then back down to L.A. where he is, and, you know, the going through a crowd to be like, oh my god, we're going to see who this guy is. It must be a big deal because they're, you know, they're making all this this to-do about who he is. And then we see who it is and it's like, okay, but and we haven't been introduced like, oh, to him before. That's a recognizable actor who you usually see in B-movies directed yeah, to DVD. But it's like he has nothing so to do with the rest of the movie. We haven't seen him before. He wasn't a character that showed up earlier that was like, oh, it was him all along. They just literally went to all of this pomp and circumstance to show us that John Voight is in the movie. They might as well have just saved their money and gotten Eric Roberts for all the effectiveness it was. Yeah, and it's like, what is this? And then it just ends, and I'm like, what the fuck was the point of all of that? I mean, I'm sorry to spoil that, but literally, we're not spoiling anything. If you, it has nothing to do with anything no, who it is. No, it's not like John Voight is a character earlier in the movie who, like, is buddy-buddy with Ethan. We yeah. He literally only exists in the movie to be on the phone fucking with him. And he's not tied into any previous no. thing that we've seen. He's not, there's no like, oh, isn't that cool that it was no one? No, it's not, it doesn't, none of that. It's just like they figured people would just be excited to see John Voight. There, there is one shot, one, in this movie that I thought was really cool. It's from the, it's, it's a camera mounted on the front of the car and it literally goes for two to three minutes of them just driving really quickly through traffic, through multiple intersections, and yeah. it's an unbroken shot. And it's that like, was towards okay. the end. Yeah. Like, there's one shot that yeah. does that, and it's like, look, this is the one we're going to impress people with the fact we did this all in one shot. And it's like, yeah, man, way too little, way too late. And there's there's just, okay, I will give you an example of the of the story, the, the script construction woes of this film. After Selena Gomez hears the voice guy in the car telling Ethan Hawke, I will kill your wife if you don't do this, she still calls the cops on Ethan Hawke like he's the one doing it. And it's like, bitch, did you not hear the voice? You were sitting right here. Yeah, there's very little actual writing going on here. Yeah. And I'm happy this lost money. I like Ethan Hawke. I do. I do too. He's been trying to take 
cr- like crazy culty choices lately, which I support. He's doing indie films and he's doing bizarre little culty films. Th- th- he needs to read the scripts a little careful, more carefully before I he agree. jumps right in because this was a very poor example of filmmaking on every level. Skip. Skip it, skip it, skip it. Well, moving on from there, we're going to go to Doctor Who Revisited September 11th. No, no, no. That's Doctors 9 to 11. Oh, okay. I I thought that was a little offensive. When I was looking at this on the list, I was like, oh, he's going to think that that's 9-11. Because for a second, I did, too, and I'm the one who wrote it. (laughs) So uh, I was going to let it go, but, you know, never forget. (laughs) You guys probably remember that we reviewed previously the the two previous sets have come out, Doctor Who Revisited 1 through 4, which featured the first four actors to play the Doctor, and Doctor Who Revisited uh, 5 through 8, which, of course – visited those, which ended with the um, the one in Paul McGann episode, which was the American movie, which was actually much better than I remembered it being. That being said, this is presumably the final one, at least until they get three or four more Doctors to play the role that they're going to release. And this covers uh, starting with Christopher Eccleston, then going to David Tennant, then going to Matt Smith with picking two episodes from each that they consider among the best. Now, they're not standalones, which is why Blink isn't on here, which everyone pretty much universally seems to agree is the best of the new run of Doctor Who, about midway through the Doc- uh, David Tennant run. But these are the ones where it's like, you know, yeah, to-be-continued episodes. Now, going into this, the ones for uh, Christopher Eccleston here, we've got The Parting of the Ways and The Stolen Earth, which is actually the end of the uh, – I'm sorry. No, no, no. My mistake. Bad Wolf and The Parting of the Ways, which is the end of Christopher Eccleston's run and when he actually turns into uh, David Tennant's character, which is actually a pretty cool emotional episode. It is – like begins the whole run of the Bad Wolf thing, which runs all the way through the David Tennant run. And even just recently uh, in the last episode, they bring it up again. So I'm feeling they might we might be coming back to the Bad Wolf stuff involving a – Universe with like a giant game show, like a weakest link type show and a bunch of TV shows that they get trapped into. And yeah. it turns out the whole thing, of course, is run by the Daleks, who are the big Doctor Who bad guy. Sounds and like get... the movie Stay Tuned. Yeah, it's exactly like that, except with that Daleks. Uh, now, the next two are The Stolen Earth and Journey's End. Uh, and this is the uh, 12th and 13th uh, uh, final episodes of the fourth series of, uh, of Doctor Who with David Tennant. I'm ending with the final regular appearance of Donna Noble, which is definitely one of the more emotional, emotionally powerful episodes of the whole run of the show. And as well as the real end of the appearances of Rose and her relationship with, with David Tennant's doctor on the show, which is one of the few times I ever cried watching this show next to the Van Gogh episode. Uh, really, really good. Well worth watching together. Good example of the best of that. Now the Matt Smith stuff goes the impossible astronaut and day of the moon, which is in the, the first and second episode of the sixth series, which was sort of when they first did their aggressive push on American television. Like check us out. We know you love the doctor. I mean, it starts off featured in Texas for God's sakes with the doctor wearing a cowboy hat. So doesn't get more American than that. Uh, no, and living in Texas, I can assure you that that is actually <laughs> true. Now, I didn't like these as much when I first saw them, but in rewatching, I really enjoyed. And this follows one of the greatest new Doctor Who villains, the Silence, who's an alien race who can't be remembered after they are encountered, which is pretty freaking cool. Um, like the idea is you'll see him, you're like, oh my god, oh my god, and you turn around to run, and then you're like. What was I doing? <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're the incarnation of weed, essentially. There's yeah, there's the weed. <laughs> yes, uh, there's a, a a really really cool sequence where um 
basically they've said, okay, put a mark on yourself every time you see one of them. And they're mm. wandering around in this old abandoned asylum and Amy Pond is wandering around in there. And she's like, you know, she's looking around and she's like, like she notices there's a mark on her arm and she's like, what the fuck? She looks around, there's another mark on her arm. She's like, <laughs> and then she looks in a mirror and she's covered with marks. That's pretty cool. And you're like, okay, that's fucked up. <laughs> that's pretty sweet. Really, really, really fun, this whole set. And in addition to that, you get like about a half hour long special on each doctor sort of summing up their run as the doctor that's exclusive to these sets. So this is a great sort of like, it, it's a, it's a not, not terribly bad starter kit for people, friends you know might be like, I've never watched Doctor Who. I'm kind of curious buy this for them. It's it's relatively cheap and it's a good introduction to all three of the current most current doctors. People who are who curious. Indeed. Like like myself, for example. Yes. Anyway, the next title we're going to review here is The Mortal Instruments, City of Boons. Alright. Look at the boons. <laughs> I was gonna do a Star Trek line too, but I can't still laugh. <laughs> so this movie came out. This movie's dead, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. No joke. Uh I'm gonna say it right now. This movie's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. Really? Yeah. Okay. I know this is terrible. As long as you feel guilty about no, it, I think no, it's fine. No, no, I do. This movie is truly <laughs> terrible. It really is. But here's the thing. It wants so badly to be a cross between Twilight, like like Twilight and Harry Potter, had mm-hmm. a kid, it's a teenager now, and it has yeah. hormones. It wants to be that kid so bad yeah. that it's fucking hysterical watch it, watching it try to come together. And unlike Twilight, even though, I mean, like, in no way would I compare this to the quality of even the worst of the Harry Potter films, but it moves constantly. It does <laughs> dumb stuff every other second. It is constantly moving, like <laughs> a set of keys jangled in front of a baby's face. It's just, it does so much silly, ridiculous stuff constantly, and it's ripping off everything so, so many constantly things. that it just got to that point, and I'm like, dude, this is maybe the ultimate drinking game movie. It Interesting. Okay, what what would be the what what would you drink every Just time? Every time this rips off another movie. Uh, every time you see an affectation of a better fantasy film. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh the story here follows New York City teenager uh, uh, Clary Clary really yeah. Clary Frey played by Lily Collins who's like uh, I I don't know how to describe it. I'm going to go like, out on a limb, just going to go out on a limb and say that this was based on a young adult novel written by a woman. Boy, what a shocker. Yeah, I don't know why you – it's not just women. I don't mean to be sexist, but why young adult writers insist upon giving their protagonists the stupidest fucking names. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, not 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 a great name. It, come on. She can be just called Alice or Sally or Or something. just be Claire fun. or Mary. Or Clara. You, you can't have both Claire and Mary. Clary. Well, it makes sense considering what a mashup it is of yeah, everything else. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, of course, she's, it turns out that – like, even though she's an ordinary teenager and hates being an ordinary teenager, she's not an ordinary teenager. She has magic powers. She's the only one who's able to see a really cute guy played by <laughs> Jamie Campbell Bauer, who you might remember playing King Arthur in the television series. And makes recently. an appearance in the Harry Potter franchise as the he's the thief that steals the Elder Wand oh, in the flashbacks. Right. You're right. Uh, she's the only pe- person able to see him kill this dude. Well, it turns out this guy, as far as she knows, is on her side and part of a family of shadow hunters, these warriors that slay demons. Apparently her mother was a shadow hunter and she n- didn't want to tell her and she's inherited her powers, including an ability to use runes, which is the special kind of magic. Yeah. Of course, you know, eventually it's going to turn out that, oh my God, you're more powerful than anyone could have pictured. Of you're course. the chosen one. Of course and you, you have are. to help us defeat the, well, I can't tell you because there's actually a big, like, 
not really that big of a surprise, but there's a twist about who the villains actually are in this whole thing. And they do a halfway decent job of teasing you about who might be evil mm-hmm. and who might not be, but you're not going to be terribly shocked. Well, you're not going to care. <laughs> I mean, there is that. They do a good job pulling the wool over your eyes because you don't give a shit who's good and who's and evil. And it makes absolutely no sense when they come to the actual conclusion. Yeah. Now, I'm just, I'm, I'm, going to call moratorium on and i think this was largely started by the harry potter novels on the construct of i'm a completely ordinary teenager i have no idea that there's this entire supernatural world just beneath my feet and what i'm a part of it just stop everybody stop no star wars Mm. come on this even directly rips off star wars as well come on you know it's true you know it's true. Teenager wishing there was a bigger world out there, but he God has to live his mundane life when he encounters an old wizard who tells him he's related to a man of great power and might be the chosen I one. I hate you so much right now. And of course, I we could all the way can't go, even argue with you. We could go all the way back to Joseph Campbell's, like, talking about, like, uh, the couple hundred or so mythoses that came before this with a similar story. But either way, this is not going to offer Joseph a lot Campbell of didn't write anything as good as Star Wars, is all I'm going to say. Well, he, he didn't write anything. Like, they just wrote about it. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. You been no, you're right though. But still, I'm tired of seeing it in young adult adaptations onto the screen. I'm just I'm, I'm over it. I think it need we need to come up with something new for young adult characters to do other than accidentally or inadvertently get thrown into these supernatural worlds. Like I'm just I'm tired. It's well, just, I want to see just once one of these guys get thrown into this world who has absolutely no powers of any kind. Like yeah. everybody else has powers, but there's something there's something in them that has to be protected, but they've got no powers. Or a comedy. And so they're like, you know, they're bumbling about like Martin Freeman in the first Hobbit movie going yeah. like ah! <laughs> Yeah, or a comedy where they're like, "Oh wow, there's this whole world going on and I have the most powers ever and I'm the chosen one? Yeah, I'm not interested. I'll see you guys later. And then you, they have to spend the whole movie convincing this ordinary teenager, no, no, you need to not be an ordinary teen and come do this. No, I'm good. I'm cool. I'm going to go get some pizza. Or a teenager who actually has incredible powers, but the only twist is they can't do it, use them when anyone else is around at all. So, like, they have to do this whole thing, but they're the only one with power, so no one can help them at all. Yeah. That's I think the- hentai common is really where it's at when it comes to these type of movies. <laughs> they can only use their power when they're giving a dude a blowjob. There you go. I'm just saying. I think I go. read that one. So, there, there, yeah. there you have it. What were we talking about? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> this is an extraordinary, for me at least, was an extraordinarily boring movie, and I think it's because of what Chris was talking about, about how it really does just blatantly rip off a lot of things. And it gets so bogged down in its own mythology. I mean, I, I will say this. What is actually going on here does not suggest or or uh, facilitate the idea of, I don't know, werewolves. But then werewolves <laughs> no. are just there. Because we wanted werewolves in there as well. So we shoehorned a werewolf into the myth. I'm just like, stop. Stop explaining. Stop with these Look, long-winded... If there are vampires, know, there have to be werewolves. That's the rule now. There don't have to be vampires in this story. Those were shoehorned in too. I mean, I will say this. The first 20 minutes or so of this film, I was genuinely enjoying it. I was like, this is interesting. This is kind of like a blady type universe thing going on. And yeah, it's overly gothic. It looks like it could take place in the White Wolf uh, World of Darkness universe. But I like the White Wolf World of Darkness universe. I'm like, this could be interesting. And then it chooses to go completely dumb, dumb, bugfuck stupid for the whole rest of the movie. It looks really more like it takes place at a douchey teen goth club. <laughs> it does. but well, Everybody in this is so goth, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, they're like, yeah, no, I mean, this is like... <laughs> like black fingernail polish. This is like the secret back room at Hot Topic. Like, yeah. Yeah, you have to have the, <laughs> the password Tim Burton to get into. Fashions for this movie provided by Hot Topic. Good lord. Yeah, Mortal Instruments, I can't really recommend it, but I think... 
if I were going to enjoy it, I think it would also be on a guilty pleasure level. It just didn't get there for me. I was more like, okay, this is a chore. I'm ready to move on. True. And the shame is I've actually heard from multiple people who've seen the movie and hated it that the books they're based on are actually quite good. Hmm. Strangely enough, like uh, uh, Martin saw this with his daughters who were huge fans and he had read them and said, these are actually really good books. So I'm kind of curious to see how this turns out. And yeah, they were like, no, that was a complete wreck. Well, more than, more than likely, it was one of those things they rushed into production because it's like, oh my god, Twilight's ending. Let's, let's pick up where they left off and get all that money. Yeah. Well, no, that's obviously what I mean, it's the same that. thing that happened with, uh, what was that? Uh, lovely creature, heavenly creature. See, I liked Beautiful Creatures. Beautiful actually. Creatures. I, I really it was, liked Beautiful It was creatures. pretty good, but yeah. I'm just saying, that too is a movie that exists because yeah. they realized and Twilight the was ending. the biggest problems with that movie are the fact that it feels very rushed. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you have it. Mortal Instruments City of... Mm-hmm. Moving on from there... I can't believe they're making a sequel. Ugh. Are they really? Oh, yeah. They said recently they're moving ahead with Did this sequel. thing make any money? I don't think it made its money It seems back. like it apparated in and out of theaters before anyone okay. knew it was so there. it made about $15 million more than its budget, which means when you add in like everything else there that's not listed in the initial budget, it lost money. Yeah, and they're... Okay, well, go ahead and greenlight that sequel. Hey, man, if they made a sequel to... to uh, uh, what do you call it? That Ayn Rand thing. Uh, Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. Which made no money. We were laughing about that earlier. You're like, isn't the whole point of Ayn Rand's philosophy is to only like spend... You know, use money if you know you're going to make money? Mm-hmm. What? That... Why would you make a sequel to a movie that bombed? It's, yeah, the it concept of frugality to the point of survival of the fittest, unless you're making a movie that makes no money, and then you just make another one. Yeah. Anywho, we're going to talk about the Jack Ryan collection. Why not? Because I'll, i got to say this, as much as I'm not really the world's biggest Tom Clancy fan, I've read a few of his books, just not really my type of writing, a little too cold, a little too... A little too Cold War? Yeah. A little too much information about stuff I, quite frankly, don't give much of a shit about. uh, Because he loves the details. The movies have been, for me, a success across the board. Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed all four of the Jack Ryan films. Of course, this includes all four of them on Blu-ray. Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, and The Sum of All Fears. Now, now, just to... uh, Remind me, because I'm a little fuzzy on this. So... Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games, are those both Harrison Ford? Those are the Harrison Ford ones. Okay. Yes. And uh, those take those are read in order of release. Now, the first one, Hunt for Red October, is still the best of the whole Such series, a good movie. With Alec Baldwin playing the lead character and Sean Connery as a Russian sub-commander. Excellent. Really tense Cold War action film. Two things I really love about the Hunt for Red October. One is Sean Connery in the movie, just ridiculously good. And two is playing, see if you can spot the line of the the, the dialogue bit that was written by Quentin Tarantino. Oh. See if you can spot it. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, there was a there was a bit of dialogue in there where the script was supervised in that like little chunk by Tarantino, or, or was added to by Tarantino. I did not know that. I'll give you a hint. It probably involves comic books. <laughs> well, I'll have to go back and rewatch it again and look for that. Uh, the... While that was a great movie, there's no question that Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games were both really fun adaptations of books that were not, from, reportedly, from what I've heard from a lot of people, not as good as the movies they made out of them. <laughs> uh, both featuring Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan and James Earl Jones as Va- Vice Admiral James Greer. Uh, these were directed by Philip Noyce. 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 Who is, of course, Australian, so that's why you say it like that. Right. Uh, who's got, got or you just watch Key and Peele and, and love saying Noyce. Who's got a huge, had a huge career. You probably more recently remember if you saw Rabbit Proof Fence, that was him, which was an excellent film. But 
Yeah, a lot of fun. I still remember, I can't remember the name of the group. There was like this electronica video group that was making electronica entirely out of samples. And one of their songs kept using, I, I think it's from Patriot Games, uh, Harrison Ford when a bomb's about to yell off, going, get down. And like in the videos, it's going, get down, get down, nice. get down, get down. <laughs> but that was brilliant. Now, the most controversial one on this list is Some of All Fears. And that's partially because this came out of the point where Ben Affleck was getting more than just a little bit of a backlash in his career in 2002. Just... Where people were just kind of like, I don't know if I buy Ben Affleck as an actor or an action hero. <laughs> we don't know if we buy Ben Affleck playing a human being. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, when we all, when I saw it with the, the Spill Crew guys back in uh, 2002 when it came out, we really liked it a lot. And it's a reboot uh, that is, in fact, set in 2002. And, of course, Ryan is a younger man uh, as they're about to reboot it yet again with Chris Evans? Yes. Uh, no, no, no. It's Chris Pine. Chris Pine. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I can never get them straight. Um, but this is uh, also stars uh, Morgan Freeman in it as well. And this does something you don't really see coming, which is basically – completely nuclear uh nuclear annihilate a major city and <laughs> you're just yeah. like wait what something so, you never seen happen in spy films are like oh and by the way we blew up whatever you know, unless like, those spies are the gi joes in which case you should really be rooting for cobra but if you remember this one from before and you had cynical feelings about it just take a chance on seeing it again it may be just because you were just a little too negative more negative towards affleck than he really deserved because i thought this movie was a lot of fun and this is a cool little box set it's a nice way to get all four of these blu-rays together uh and a hell of a great dad present that's for sure oh definitely and don't let your feelings on ben affect how you feel about this box set <sighs> Hey, hey, hey. Uh, hey, hey, hey. I'm going to get away. <laughs> well, that is the Jack Ryan collection. And now we're going to talk about, because it seems like there are two things we almost always talk about on every show. One is the Criterion collection, and the other is Scream Factory. Well, we, we just have to. We just kind of have to. Uh, this week... Okay, so they put out a, a film called Saturn 3. I don't, yes, I'm gonna, they did. I'm going to let you start on this one. Well, okay, here's the deal about Saturn 3. Saturn 3 is directed by one of the great uh, Hollywood director, directors, Stanley Donen. I mean, this is one of the guys who was younger when he started his career, so he was really one of the last living of the golden age of directors. I mean, hell, he's, he's still alive. Uh, he's, uh, he's 89 years old, but not working anymore. And he's known for things like Singing in the Rain, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, a lot of musicals that won multiple awards were just really, really highly regarded. I mean, he was one of the great directors of musicals especially, but a lot of other stuff as well. Had a strong relationship with Gene Kelly. Okay, I, you should want to see everything this guy does, right? Well, this was a bit later in his career, 1980, to be clear, and it was on the heels of the success of Star Wars and everybody's studio going, we've got to make a science fiction movie. Which is funny because uh, the guy who is not officially credited as being sort of the co-director on this, who wrote the story, it was... The screenplay was based on is John Barry, who was the production designer on Star Wars. Yeah. And then, of course, this is the screenplay was written by Martin Amos, who is one of the great British novelists. I mean, won so many awards, considered to be one of the greatest, like, living British writers today. It sure doesn't show watching no. this movie. Um, <laughs> although I will hand it to Donan. He makes this film look beautiful at points. There's That's some true. gorgeous cinematography. Some of his conceptions of just the, you know, the way he put together the sets and the use of colors and stuff is really, really cool. No denying. I enjoyed watching this film visually. 
And I enjoyed seeing Farrah Fawcett romping around and when she was young and hot, uh, wearing barely anything or in some points, nothing. Yeah. And, but, but grossly having sex with old ass Kirk Douglas. Yeah, that was odd for me too. Yeah, that was, it was Especially when they're like in the shower together. I was like, really? More than just a little bit uncomfortable to watch. (laughs) Uh, you know, I shouldn't be an ageist. My girlfriend's a lot younger than me, but I'm not as old as Kirk Douglas. So there you go. At least that's what it says on my resume. Um, <laughs> but their lives to. on this little tiny outpost on Saturn where they're basically trying to manufacture uh, new forms of food for the yeah. dying planet Earth is interrupted by the arrival of Harvey Keitel. Yeah, oddly dubbed. Yeah. He's not using his own voice. They've dubbed him for some reason. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on there either. But um, he's we see in the beginning that he's killed somebody back on a nearby space station. And that death is actually really cool. It is really cool. Like, the way they do it, they make the, like, I don't know, they constructed a sort of a dummy that was like a human pinata, and then they just blew it open. And it was like, wow, that's actually kind of cool. Well, this guy shows up, Harvey Keitel shows up with saying, like, look, you guys aren't working fast enough, and, uh, like, I've been sent to fix things, and I've been come with this robot named Hector that is, runs on brain tissue extracted from human fetuses that so you know nothing will go wrong. Yeah, that's programmed using a direct link to his brain. So this thing is learning from this guy's own consciousness, who we mm-hmm. already know is a killer and not a terribly nice guy. Yeah. To in fact, his whole demeanor is totally straight-laced and normal like this. Like, who wouldn't go, uh... Fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. Get you're his killer. baby fetus brain robot out of here. Of course, it doesn't take long before things start going horribly wrong, both with him, who starts, like, getting more than just a little touchy-feely with Farrah Fawcett, but uh, with the robot itself, who, look, like I said, is, is basically crazy because its its identity is being sourced from this guy. Yada, yada. Stuff happens we've seen a billion times before. Couple cool things here and there. Ultimately, a story that moves slow as molasses through a lot of it with some gross sex scenes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, the, the stuff to watch this for is one, like I said, young Farrah Fawcett, really, really, really hot. Uh, and... Really cool, some really cool visual stuff that happens mm-hmm. in here. But ultimately, its biggest problem is it's just a dull film. Well, not only that, but it feels like, even though it doesn't mention anywhere on here, it says that there was a TV broadcast version. Yeah. But the film feels like a made-for-TV movie. It even has moments where it's like, big dramatic note, and then it goes black and comes back, like, and now a commercial. Yeah. And it's like, wait, if this wasn't made-for-TV, why do you have those pauses in there? No, you're absolutely right. Uh there's a lot about that, except for her, the occasional boob shot or ass shot of Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see it's a curiosity. It's sure. And, I, and from... I really do like the design of the robot. And I think oh, they yeah. get progressively – I mean, as as things get more dire, I think what they do with the robot is actually pretty cool. There's cool stuff in here. It's just copped too much from movies that came out too recently to this. I mean, it just plays its hand way too obviously there. Mm. Uh, it's a shame. Now, if you, if you do enjoy this, and it is worth a look, if you like old sci-fi from this period, and I do, you're not gonna, you're gonna be interested in seeing this. And there's a couple cool stuff in there. There's an interview with, uh, uh, the, the voice artist who had the dub Harvey Keitel. Well, I bet you they feel like they go back and they just like shiver going, what the fuck were we thinking having to dub <laughs> Harvey Keitel? <laughs> you know, wow, bad call. I interviewed the special effects director who, like I said, does good stuff in here. Additional scenes from the network version, a deleted ecstasy scene, because there's a scene where Fairfoss and Kirk Douglas take Space ecstasy. 
<laughs> Which is so much better than regular. It's existed. kind of funny. It's not terribly extended. Uh, and then an audio commentary with a film expert, Greg Moss. Who runs uh, what I what a hazard is the only Saturn 3 fan site on the internet. Yeah, he runs a site called Something is Wrong on Saturn 3. You're like, <laughs> well, I guess everybody's got to have an identity. Dude, so. we need to really push hard for some very unheard of film that we both love and see if we can get on one of these commentaries when they eventually put it on Blu-ray. Seriously. I'm just saying. We're here. We're anyway, available. A nice package put together by Shout Factory. They really cleaned it up and it looks fabulous. It does. Like, uh, but it's just, it's just really in a, it's hard to argue with the fact this is just a very lesser film and a footnote in 70s and 80s science fiction. Indeed. Well, from there, we're going to smash and grab. Yes, we are. Oh, wait, for we're for talking about the movie. I thought we were just trying to make some money. Smash, well, we are. Christmas is coming up. You know, so. Smash, smash it, right? <laughs> All right, so you've ever seen the Pink Panther movies? Yes. Okay, so how? where does the, the name the Pink Panther come from? The Diamond. The name of the Diamond is the Pink Panther. Yeah. Okay, that being said, I mean, everybody's seen the Pink Panther movies, or at mm-hmm. least one of them. They're very, very famous. Most people, because of the cartoon, have kind of mixed up in their heads that the Pink Panthers were the name of the actual thief. Yeah. Was not. That being said, that has not stopped people from naming this huge group of, like, international jewel thieves that really exist the Pink Panthers because Ugh. they have not actually gotten caught. Uh, now, this is pretty fascinating that this group even exists and is still going. They are credited – the Pink Panthers are credited with over 300 jewel thefts throughout the world. Really? Yeah. They're kind of badasses when it is comes it, so to So is this a documentary about It's a documentary, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um now, interspersed throughout the documentary, there's interviews with people who are crime experts and cops who've been chasing them their whole lives, pretty much, uh, as well as anonymous interviews that they're doing with people who claim they're members of the Pink Panthers uh, that they do with a sort of animation over them. So even though it looks like you're seeing a person who's kind of barely animated over, apparently it's like they took their basic movements and then created a very different looking person on top of it, mm-hmm. uh, including a woman who was sort of the front woman who would come in measure the place, flirt with the owner of the store, that sort of thing. She would case the place. She would case the place. Mm -hmm. And then one of the main planners slash thieves, sort of a mid-level guy. And these people apparently came from – they they basically started when in Yugoslavia split up, you know, Mm -hmm. because of the separatists – uh, when, you know, all that craziness and murder and horribleness was going on. This is a bunch of guys who were sick of the bullshit, started off running, you know – smuggling runs and eventually started working their way up to doing jewel heists and then over time formed this international network of thieves that had just figured out the plan. We knew exactly how to do it, how to do it no matter where you were, how to get out clean, how to get rid of the jewels, and how to keep fucking doing it. It's hard not to respect efficiency. (laughs) You know, that's the thing about like, especially with Americans, they even reference this at one point in the movie. It's like, it really drives us crazy. This is the cops talking. drives us crazy that people admire these guys so much. It's like it's like they're jewel thieves. It's like yeah, yeah, but you know. yeah, but we also you know we made heroes out of cowboys and bootleggers. Well, I mean, that's just how we are. That's the thing. It's like Americans admire anybody who does a job well. That's like, true. We even admire Hannibal for God's sakes. Yeah, <laughs> he's it, a cannibalistic serial killer, and we're like, you know, I know he's a cannibalistic serial killer, but I still kind of like the guy. There may be a reason that Breaking Bad was so successful. I'm just I just it's a it's a kind of frightening thing that we got going on and Mm -hmm. uh, I can't defend it. I'm just saying it's there and I can't say watching this. I didn't go, man, I kind of want to become a professional jewelry. (laughs) We could use the money. So if you could get on that, that'd be great. Where do I contact one of these Pink Panthers? But (laughs) these are, you know, I'm sure very, very frightening people. And if there's a problem with this, it plays down, you know. 
it plays down their villainy to some extent, I thought, because mm. let's face it. I mean, these guys are, I mean, they're, they're criminals. They're hardened criminals, but it's a little too lighthearted for a movie about a group like this. It's never frightening as you think it should be. Mm-hmm. And there's too much of that animated material on it. At first, it's fun. After a while, it gets to be a little irritating. So is this an American-made documentary? Uh, it is by Havana Marking, and it came out in the UK. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. I would think that if, I mean, if one of the big complaints is that they're not, they're they're sort of giving them too much of a pass because they're, or they're, you know, showing too much affinity for them, I would, you know, I, my first assumption would be that it's an American documentary because, yeah. like you said, that's what well, we I do. Well, I think the Brits got that too. There you go. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, that was Smash and Grab. From there, we're going to talk about our Criterion release for this week is actually one we just talked about. On the first uh, installment of All I Want for Geekmas, our holiday gift guide. But now you've seen it. And now I've seen it, which is The Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Oh my god, what a cool movie. Did I not tell you? What a fucking... And you know what? You know why I liked it so much? Go it's ahead. because it reminded me, in no small way, of my favorite Hitchcock movie, Rope. Oh, okay. Where you have two guys that commit a murder and spend the rest of the movie seeing how far they can go and get away with it. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening here, where you have this... The movie opens with a uh, a man showing up at a woman's apartment and her saying, how are you going to kill me today? And he's like, I'm going to slash your throat. And then as they're making love, he sure is, he said, slashes her throat. Got to respect the guy for being honest. Yeah, I mean, he told her. And then, you know, he goes to the police station like, what? He calls in the crime, says there's a crime at this address, and then he goes to the police station like, is he going to confess? No, he's the chief of motherfucking police. Yeah, not just the chief of police, but just got promoted to be mm-hmm. chief of the political affairs division, which yeah. is a huge, very, like, you know, that's on your way up to being mayor or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like, everyone loves him. Everyone's like, ah, oh. even brings two bottles of champagne that he took from the from dead woman's refrigerator yeah. and pours them out to all the cops. The key here that makes us, like, different from Rope in a lot of ways and uh, considered to be one of the most important Italian films of its time is that there's this whole political undercurrent the whole time that is applicable. I mean, it's not... It, it's applicable certainly more so to this time because it's about everyone was starting to like rise up in Italy against the political system. The young, the, fa- the young anti-fascist movement. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the cops who were very much the fascists indeed they were having trouble with. But that's, it's kind of universal, the message that's going on sure. here. Fear of authority, authority abusing its power. And the fact that this guy who's got so much power is self-destructs because of his invul- own invulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's like, I believe I'm so untouchable, I've got to fuck with it just to see how untouchable I actually yeah. am. Like, yeah. he, he's, he's, like, he's throwing evidence against himself at the police on purpose just because it gets him off to yeah. see them go, well, obviously that's ridiculous. It's, it's, a, so. it's the ultimate power trip. I mean, a guy who, who involves himself in the investigation of a murder he committed, not to throw people off, but just to see how close they can get on their own. And if he doesn't feel they're getting close enough on their own, he helps them yeah. try and figure out that it's him. And at first, it's like, it's not really that he wants to get caught. It's just a continuation of games he used to play with this girl when he was having an affair, as yeah. we see in a series of flashbacks. Which, which again, is, is sort of the sexual representation of, of, a, of, a, power, or of a power trip. So. Yeah. Uh, beautifully shot here by director Elio Petri, who was one of the rare Italian directors at this point, which was very involved in political stuff, but was choosing to do it through genre films. Genre films at that point were not being highly 
they weren't really looked at that highly there or here. Probably. I was going to say there's there's still sort of a disconnect that people have between genre films and, you know, statement movies. But this was the movie that made him break out of that to where people went, oh, my God, that was amazing. Uh, one winner of Best Foreign Film when it came out in America at the Oscars. Uh, the critics just loved the crap out of it, considered one of the best international films of the entire 1970s. Just as good of a satire as it is straight up a suspense film. Yeah. With this performance that's just jaw dropping by the police inspector in question, Gian Maria Volante, who worked his whole career pretty much with Elio Petri as like his main actor, as well as with the, the main female in here, uh, whose name is, I believe, uh, Florinda Bolcan, who's just gorgeous. And you can totally see why he was kind of losing his mind and, fucking up his career over this girl right as well as a soundtrack by Ennio Morricone which has to be heard to be believed yeah he uses mouth harp a lot which at first I found a little bit jarring and then I yeah. realized what he was doing was sort of under underscoring the absurdity of uh, the legal system it was yeah. just like this is all a joke like this entire system that's set up to supposedly protect you is in reality a giant joke and the way he communicates that is with this bang 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 and yeah. even even the most like tense scenes, he'll throw that out there. And sometimes. there are points there where the music does this great job that all through the movie, it's getting faster and faster, very, very subtly. And I didn't really realize it till the very end of the film when it went back to the, you know, the front credits, uh, the, you know, of the, of the, the film with the, the, the title screen where I could choose my options playing the sort of the initial version of the theme. I was like, wow, that music sped up a lot over the course of that <laughs> film. I didn't even realize it. A lot of extras. It's Criterion. Comes with a big book. Oh, it's it's a thick release. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, interview with Ennio Morricone about the music, a documentary film focusing on the life and career of the actor Gian Maria Volante, who, like I said, is just so good here. I want to see other stuff he's been in. Sure. Uh, director, uh, a feature, a docu full documentary film about the director, Elio Petri, uh, brand new interview, bleh, brand new video interview with film scholar Camila Zamboni, who talks about this film, which I actually really enjoyed this. I was very enlightening about like all the little details. Every scene is filled with so much little things that you're like, oh, what he's really saying here is this and mm -hmm. this is this. You're like, wow, a lot of that stuff I picked up on, not all of I did, but none of it is so subtle that you, that like you're going to miss it. It's just like, there's just so much of it. It's one of the reasons it's so brilliant. Uh, excerpt from a French TV show about it, and then of course the original trailers. Yeah, it's it's one of those films that you don't, you know. Sometimes I go after like when I'm making my request for the Criterion stuff. A lot of times I'm guilty of going after movies that I know, and this is one of those movies that reminds me that the other great thing about Criterion, which is that they introduce you to films you might not have otherwise heard of, and that's exactly what this is. This is a fantastic movie. Even if you're not a big fan of foreign cinema at all, yeah. check this out. Yeah, I think that this is going to transcend people who are uncomfortable at default with foreign cinema. This is one of those ones that's hard not to like. Uh, it's my pick of the week. Yeah, it is. Even, even though I didn't technically get it, it's still my pick of the week. <laughs> it, it actually uh, is for me, too. I think this is just absolutely terrific stuff. One of the best criterions that's come out this year. As I as mentioned we, before. Yeah, there you go. As we brought up on uh, All I Want for Geekness. I'm going to keep pimping that because... We could really use the Amazon money. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move on from there to Anchorman, the rich mahogany edition. So are you a fan of Anchorman? I am a fan of Anchorman. Okay, because when I initially saw it, of course, me being a little older than you, I came in. I saw it after I'd seen several other Will Ferrell films. I saw mm -hmm. it on DVD without an audience, and I went, uh, I kind of already seen him do this exact same type of man-child role before so many times. I was not terribly thrilled really? with Really? Because I feel like Anchorman was the first. It was, but I saw it on DVD. 
Uh, oh, well after Oh, that. I got okay. Yeah, right. I did not watch same it. Page. When, same yeah, page. Yeah, I did not watch it when it initially came out. Gotcha. Uh and going back and being able to rewatch it some time has been between me and the seemingly endless for a while series of Will Ferrell Manchild movies that were coming out. Ricky Bobby, Semi Pro, yeah, just on I, and on. I, I like this a lot more the second time around. I still think for me personally, my favorite of all these I mean, not counting old school, because he's kind of a supporting character there. Mm-hmm. But uh, my favorite is the the uh, Ricky Bobby story. The uh, really yeah. Talladega Nights. Yeah, that's the one that made me laugh the most out of all of them. Personally, See, that's uh, Anchorman is is the one is the one I actually find to be the only one I could watch. Uh, I don't like any of the other ones, but I think it's because like you, I got tired of that shtick really quickly. Yeah, well, I think I think the actual Ricky Bobby story is one of the first ones I watched. So there you go. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, it's like if you were to watch all the crappy uh, uh, Adam Sandler movies and then watch Happy Gilmore, you might go, "Oh God, oh, yeah. this is awful." But that's the best one. I guess. I guess that's true. So what is what is different about the rich mahogany Mah- edition? Mahogany Ma- edition. Apartment smells rich mahogany. Mahogany. Well, it, I mean, it's a two disc Blu Ray release of this, and it has the main thing about this is that it's just got a lot of extra content. Um, now, it's a 97-minute extended cut of the film. It's only like three minutes longer than the original, and you're really not going to notice the difference. So, you know, it's just for the – so they can put out an addition. And it's got a new audio commentary track with the director Adam McKay and actor-writer Will Ferrell, uh, along with some of the musicians uh, and the actors in here. Okay, if you look, you know, I mean, that's funny. You, you, you know, they're going to be just laughing and joking all the way around. And sure. Okay. That's, that's a thing. But the main thing is all the other stuff on here, which is lots of deleted and extended scenes, blooper reels, the afternoon delight music video, Ron Burgundy's ESPN Sports Center audition. <laughs> uh, disc two has the best extra in the set, which is the full length film, Wake Up Ron Burgundy, which apparently is a full length film assembled from cutscenes and various subplots that didn't make the final cut of Anchorman. So they just, put them back together and hmm. filmed little bits to fill in the dots uh, uh, or fill in the blanks and tried to release it as like a full separate film. Now, you know what's ironic about them, including the ESPN audition, is that just last week he was supposed to co-host ESPN. Yeah. And they ran all these big promos and, and or he was supposed to co-host SportsCenter on ESPN. All, ran all these promos, a big deal, and then it just didn't happen. Yeah. No explanation. It just didn't happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, there was a, I know he had done several small newscasts. Like he had appeared yeah. on some local newscasts. Like North Dakota. Well, he wasn't some really station. doing anything that funny. He was just kind of playing it straight. It was the joke was supposed to be that Ron Burgundy just that shows up in, in North Dakota. Yeah. Just that he happened to be there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, there's a, you know, a, a, just a lot of extra stuff in here. I mean, really just everything you could imagine that they could have shoved in here, including the stuff they've done all over the years with him appearing and stuff. And one of the coolest things I really liked is, well, not only does it come, like, you know, physically with a set of the trading cards they put out. There's, mm. like, a little bubblegum mm-hmm. pack of the trading cards. But there's a whole booklet that's supposed to be his planner, which all written in, like, childlike script all the way through by hand and crayon sometimes. It's actually laugh-out-loud funny reading it. Like, some good stuff in there. I, you know, I mean, I don't know if that make that would make it worth buying alone, but certainly, if you're a fan, this is the collection. I mean, everything to uh, cast auditions, the cast reading through different scenes, just, I mean, just, like, more stuff than anyone could possibly need, but hey, you know, that's completist, that's what you pay for, so you're not feeling like you're double-dipping for no reason. There you go, and this will almost definitely be owned by Luke Mullen sometime in the near future. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and I did think it was, like I said, much funnier the second time around. Still not, you know, 
uh, it's not going to go on my personal classics list. Yeah. Although I will say, I think the funniest thing in this movie is ever is Steve Carell, who's oh, he's hysterical. Just like as uh, yeah, his character is just so dumb. <laughs> Every time he opens his mouth, I laugh. <laughs> yeah, and it appears from the trailers Break. like he's going to have a lot more you know fun moments in the uh, in the sequel coming up. Yeah. Anywho, this uh, this next movie is I'm really interested to review this movie because it's just come out on Blu-ray. And I have owned a Blu-ray of this film for five years. It was uh, so this movie's called All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. This was an independent horror film. It's actually shot here in Texas and produced by a, a guy I know, Brian Udovich, who's a, he also uh, produced. We got to get out of this place yeah. that we just saw. Fantastic. That poor guy's been trying to make his career as a producer as long as I've met him. Since and he, the first he does fantastic good work, fest. man. I mean, it, but anyway, he that's, does. The, that's neither here nor there. But because we had met him and he had been telling us about this movie. Uh, Luke actually imported the Blu-ray because the movie was again shot several years ago. I mean, 2006. Amber Heard it came out. It, it stars Amber Heard before anybody knew who Amber, before anyone had heard of her. Yeah, she was like 17 or something. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, but the Blu-ray wasn't out in the states. So Luke got one from Australia, and I sat down and watched it, and I fucking hated this movie. <laughs> just, I could not stand it, and I, I felt bad. But it was like, man, I'm sorry. I just, I don't, I don't dig this movie. And then I heard they were putting it on a Blu-ray this year, and I was like, what the fuck? How could this possibly happen? How can a movie just disappear, sit on a shelf? Oh, the Weinstein Company put it out. That's how. Well, That's how it can just sit on a shelf. There were problems. Like, it wasn't just having divided reviews when it came out, which it most certainly most certainly uh, deserved divided reviews. But apparently it sat unreleased for over seven years due to complications with its distributor, Senator Entertainment, who went bankrupt shortly after purchasing the film from the Weinstein Company. Hmm. So it was sitting in sort of like limbo. nobody owns it limbo yeah, yeah. for a long time because God knows with Amber Heard getting more and more popular, they definitely wanted to figure out a way to put this out. And certainly if there's one thing you can say about this movie that is extremely notable but more so probably if you had seen it when it first came out and you didn't know who she was, is Amber Heard herself, who yeah. is like – I mean, she is just sex. I yeah. mean, she is so incredibly gorgeous here and everyone in the movie – I mean, it's all called All the Boys Love with Mandy Lane for a reason because every time she goes anywhere, every head turns. And she's kind of the innocent virginal girl. It really should be called Everyone Wants to Fuck Mandy Lane because yeah. one of my biggest problems with this movie is I don't particularly like her. Oh, see, I'm a, I'm a fan of Amber, I just, Amber Heard. So. Well, no, no, no. I don't like the character. Oh, no, no. I feel like the character is very flat and uninteresting. Not yes. flat. Like, she's very – No, no, no. Her you know, body is yeah. – Yeah. But mm. no, no, no. But she's like – there's just nothing else about her other than the fact that she's hot. And I get that when you're in high school, that's all you really care about. But I feel like in order for the ending of this film to work, you as an audience member have to love her for more than just I want to fuck her or it doesn't make any well, sense. Well, it's not just that. There's a big twist towards the end. And for the twist to feel effective at all, you have to be incapable of putting together what's actually happening. But there's so many, like, why are these people, why is this person even there yeah. type questions going on that you can't help but seriously suspect the ending before it happens. So there's not much It's of such a, a flimsy setup. Story. It's like, really? This is what's happening right the now? The story here, Amy Heard, she plays Mandy Lane. Amber Heard. Amber Heard, sorry. She plays an outsider uh, at a Texas high school who just over the summer has turned into a super hot chick. And uh, she gets invited by a, a, a jock dick Dylan to a pool party at her house. She accepts saying, oh, you got to bring my best friend Emmett along with us. Uh, but... Dylan, the jock, is making passes at Mandy. Uh, Emmett gets pissed off. They get into a fight, and it all leads with uh, basically 
Emmett manipulating Dylan into jumping off the jumping roof. off a roof and and dying. Yeah. All right. So flash forward nine months. Yeah. Fast forward nine months. They've stopped being friends. She's invited by a, basically a giant group of dicks. Yeah. That's uh, apparently all this school has to offer is nothing but a, a carousel of dick bags. Yeah. I mean, watching this right off the bat, you're like, oh, it's another slasher film because everyone in it's a douchebag teenager, and you want to see them die. What happened to movies where you actually liked the teenagers? Well, not only that, but like the like again, the flimsy construction, the flimsy setup. On their way there, you feel like you're watching every Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. Every single one. I mean, it's hitting every single genre note, like every cliche. The only difference mm-hmm. between that – well, anyway, they go out to a farmhouse for the weekend for no good reason. Why are you even there? There's nothing, no good reason to be there. It's it like, woo, we're going to drink and party. I'm like, you can do that in places that are in civilization yeah, too. Yeah, we've already seen them partying in really cool house, big rich houses. Yeah. So like, why would you go to this Let's go to this place? ranch where there are cattle because that's what every teenager Woo-hoo. wants to party with is cattle. Uh, and, you know – no, I mean, of course, it's not too long before people start dying, only it takes forever before anyone else realizes that people are dying because they go, oh, they're probably just off having sex. Yeah. In other words, every cliche you've ever seen in any of these movies. What this movie thinks is separating it from the <laughs> others is that it tries to be somewhat indie-arty about it, like trying to set up sort of cinematography shots of like, oh, look at her sitting there with the beautiful sunset behind her. It mm-hmm. it tries to give you this feeling like it's more important than it really is with the way it looks. And the truth is... There are some shots that aren't bad. Certainly, I could see – I mean, maybe the cinematographer did go on to do better stuff. The director certainly did. Yeah, he just did warm bodies. Yeah, John Jonathan Levine went on to do 50-50 and The Wackness. Um, movies, to some degree, I enjoyed all three of them, although I really enjoyed Warm Bodies. So it's not a big question that there's some talent here. Certainly, Amber Heard, at least for me, but – Ultimately, you've got a film with just such a poor script. And and a lot of the other kid actors are just abysmal. The oh, other yeah. blonde girl in this movie, I was like, can you die sooner? Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. are fucking awful. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. But, I believe I, that was Whitney Abel, who was in Monsters as well. I will say that on the second viewing, I didn't hate it quite as much, but I still get to the ending, and I'm like, but why? It doesn't make any you sense. You just do that just – like – you can't just have a twist because it's not what the audience was expecting. You have to, on some level within the story, justify that kind of turnabout. And they don't. They don't even try to. And the problem is, even without that, you're still expecting it because of all the unanswered questions around one of the characters. You're like, well, this must be the thing because otherwise, what's the point of even doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, honestly, this, you know, don't get too excited that, you know, there's a lot of other films that Amber Heard actually takes her clothes off, and as opposed to this one where she keeps pretending she's going to. If that's what you're going to see this for, it's no, it's not there. Also, this if that's what you're going to see this for, remember she was 17 when they shot this. Shame on you. Yeah, the other girl gets naked, but eh. There you go. Eh, what are you going to do? Uh, and there's not really much here in extra. There's an audio commentary track with Jonathan Levine, so there's just nothing worth recommending. All the boys may love Mandy Lane, but these two guys, not so much. Not so much. Anywho, we're going to move on from there to Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah, not the, uh, of course, the original big, like, biblical Hollywood story? biblical story. It's not that. That okay. actually is coming out on Blu-ray very shortly, I believe. Oh, okay. But this is a 2009 Australian film uh, that features young first-time actors filmed in Australia, very sort of outbacky type film. Uh, there are two indigenous Australian 14-year-olds that are living in this I mean, really, you think your life sucks sometimes? You have no idea. These guys, like, same thing every day. Kid who plays Samson wakes up every day, huffs gasoline out of a can, comes out, fucks with his brother who's in a 
pointless band that plays outside the, the little shack he lives in, gets chased off, and then just kind of wanders around doing nothing. Then all goes day. walk about there's, it. There's nothing to do. Uh, now that's eventually he meets this girl uh, named played Delilah who cares for her sick, very very old grandmother, and that's about all she does except fend off the pretty lame advances of Samson. <laughs> well, when her grandmother gets sick and dies, she's chased off by the rest of her family who blame her for not taking good enough care for her. And she kind of ends up reluctantly bonded with Samson as they kind of go wandering around. And this was a – the reason this came out is because uh, here – and I can't believe it took this long, really. At 2009 Cannes Film Festival, it won the Camera d'Or, which is the Gold Camera Award for Best First Feature Film. Along with a couple other nominations, it got nominated for Australia's official entry in the Academy Awards Best Foreign Language Film category. Okay, let's check it out, right? Sometimes this stuff is gold. I know, this 97% on Rotten Tomato, a lot of people really love this movie. Uh, everyone talking about, oh, it has an intrinsic sweetness, a genuine belief in the power of an individual's love, but offset by a brutal worldview. If you can stay awake long enough. <laughs> I mean, when I say nothing happens in 99% of this film, that's uh -huh. absolutely true. Nothing happens in 99% of this film. It is so slow moving and dull. And I wasn't overwhelmingly impressed with either one of these actors. In fact, you don't really like either one of them. Samson's a huffer, you know, huffing gasoline. He's mm -hmm. really fucking stupid. And Delilah's kind of a stuck-up little bitch, quite <laughs> frankly. She's just rude to everyone. Uh, you know, sure, their lives suck. I can't blame them for being shitty people. There's nothing else to do there, and everyone treats them <laughs> like shit. But there's just not much depth to the story outside of what you bring to it. And I know sometimes that's the point. Maybe I'm too hollow inside, because I couldn't really bring anything to this. I found it, you know... I found it unrewarding, even with ultimately it being, you know, oh, watch these two teens get past their differences and come together in face of crisis. Eh. <laughs> no, thanks. No, thanks. Not my type of thing. <laughs> Pass. Well, from Samson and Delilah, we're going to talk about a film that I actually really did enjoy, and that is Drinking Buddies. Well, why not? It's a film about us. It is, it is a film about us. Well, not really. Nah. Anyway. What's your wife doing lately? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> so it's, this is directed by Joe Swanberg, and I have to say this. I think Joe Swanberg is a cool dude. I, I I like him when he shows up in movies, like as characters, you know, yeah. as an actor. Yeah, and uh, what was the, the really good sort of going across the wilderness type one he was in? Uh, going across. I mean, I was thinking most recently he was in Year Next. Am I? God damn it! It was like a horror movie, a horrible way to die. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, a horrible way to die is is really good. Um, but but all that being said, I'm not a big fan of Joe Swanberg, the director. He is one of the guys part of this, and I know all of them who are kind of lumped into this group hate this term, but sort of the mumblecore movement sure. of this un seemingly unscripted independent film that some people find very self-indulgent and very navel-gazing. And to, to the detractor's credit, a lot of Joe Swanberg's movies do feel like that. Well, they are. Because I mean, that's what they – and also he has, a, he has an affinity for pulling his own dick out in his movies, which I don't really get. I mean, this isn't like – uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, was the Lars von Trier uh, agreement uh, with all the other filmmakers? Agre you know, where they were filming movies that Mumblecore is a lot like, where it's like no professional actors, no professional equipment. Like Dancer in the Dark? Or? No, 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 no. Um, damn, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, there was a, it was a whole movement, and then almost no one ever obeyed the rules of it. And I can't remember what it was called. Or it was to basically say art should not have any sort of professional quality uh, at all. Yeah, but. 
like mumblecore is like a less serious version of that basically and mm-hmm. 90% of the time for me it doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. This is one of those rare examples where it works but I think a lot of that has to do with the sheer amount of talent involved with the actors who are involved in this film Very true. that are responsible for improving their own scenes. They yeah. were literally given like here's the setup for the scene, here's what's going on. I mean they knew the whole script ahead of time but like you know they knew everything that was going to happen but here's what has to be accomplished in the scene and then they just made it up as they went along. Well, and then the setup works for it as well because what we have have, the, the basic story revolves around two two people who work at a local brewery, and they're played by Olivia Wilde and Jake Johnson, who you might know from New Girl. I love Jake Johnson so He's much. really awesome. And so they, funny. And they're just two people who are friends who spend the entire movie not dealing with the fact that they are in love Obviously with each other. Obviously are perfect for each other. They're both dating other people, and the one thing that seems to make them the closest is when they go out and get drunk together. Yeah. So their entire relationship sort of revolves around being wasted because that's the only way they can kind of deal with the fact that they both know internally that they should be with one another, but they can't be. Um, but it's, it's hard to blame them really though. Cause Olivia no, Wilde no, 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 no. is in a relationship with uh Chris played by Ron Livingston from, uh, from office space, the office space, of course, who's good looking guy, got a nice place, seems to be really smart, really mm. fu- funny, comes from money, Seems to be really happy. And Jake, Johnson's character, Luke, is going out with Jill, played by Anna Kendrick. And, well, come on, enough said. It's and that's, Kendrick, that's so. really the great part about this movie is it, it deals with the complexities of an actual relationship like this. Because it's not just cut and dry. It's not a romantic comedy where the guy – okay, for example, like Wedding Crashers. It's not the fact that Rachel McAdams is going out with Bradley Cooper, who is obviously a dickbag. It's not that at all. And it, so you don't spend the whole movie going, oh, I wish they would break up with their significant others and just be together. And it's like, on some level you want that, but on the other hand, it's like, Anna Kendrick and Ron Livingston are both great people. Yeah. And they have great relationships with those significant others. And yet they're so human that they make mistakes like every human being does and has to live, have to live to regret mm-hmm. them and deal with the consequences of them as well. I mean, really, if there's anything here that's hard to buy, it's that Olivia Wilde would ever date Jake Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Although they do a good job, I will say to the film's credit, they do a good job making Olivia Wilde feel like, if maybe not look like, but feel like a, a regular person. She's very sexy, but they play it very down, down to earth. Yeah, yeah. They, and they, it, she's not she's not so movie star in this film that you can't I it didn't I didn't have a problem buying she's it. She's normal in the as well in the fact that she's obviously very insecure mm-hmm. uh, and especially you know when problems develop in her own relationship she is becomes extremely needy in some ways yeah. very panicked about it in a very human very realistic not not at all exaggerated hollywood sort of way that we've seen sure. so many times before very human and identifiable sort of way in fact as you said we like everybody in this movie and mm-hmm. we feel for them and we want we don't know what we want to happen is what makes this most interesting. And know? what makes it most honest. I felt like that was the thing I liked most about this movie is it, it was such an honest romantic comedy because everything that happens, you it just it feels so real. It fe- and that may be because – and part of that may be the conversations between uh, Jake Johnson and Olivia Wilde. They just – if I don't if if it's not scripted, then they were just really good at coming up with banter that sounds like two friends who have been friends for a long time just talking. And obviously know? had a, a huge amount of chemistry with each other. But yeah. Jake Johnson, I get the feeling, is one of those guys who has chemistry with everyone. Yeah. I mean, his scenes with Anna Kendrick as well are just like sparkling. They're mm-hmm. obviously it feels like he is genuinely cracking her up like constantly. Yeah. It's kind of shocked that this didn't end with him dating one of them, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as much as he looks like a guy who would actually work at a brewery. You, you know? mean in real life? In real life, yeah, yeah. you're like, and both of them would probably be completely inaccessible to him. Yeah. Hey, man, fun 
funny guys goes a long way. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can both tell you that for uh, firsthand that uh, you get with woman you don't deserve. Yeah, I still don't understand it. Um, yeah, this is a very funny and and clever film that, like I said, the real charm is that you don't – you just want everybody to end up happy. It's mm-hmm. not like every other romantic comedy. Come on. You know you really belong with him or her or, the, or go back to him. It's not one of those things at all. You mm-hmm. don't know. You just want everything to be okay. And it has a lot of familiar situations that you'll be able to – that I hazard, you know, the vast majority of you will be able to identify with and yet it never feels cliché. Yeah, I completely agree. This is Swanberg's best film that he's directed so far by, that I've seen anyway, by a sizable margin. Uh, and there's actually a decent amount of extra features even, which is nice, including commentaries, deleted scenes, outtakes with commentaries, interviews with each actor who discusses their character and reasons for even joining this project, uh, a regular EPK type, uh, promotion, a bunch of other stuff behind the scenes at, Re- uh, Revolution Brewery, which is a real brewery apparently that they filmed the set. Hmm. Pretty nice collection of extras to go with this. This is a cool film, but I'm just warning you, be careful about watching it with a significant other because it's one of those films that's going to ask real and uncomfortable questions about relationships that might very well prompt those sort of side glances from your significant (laughs) other points as you realize they're thinking about, hey, this kind of applies to us, don't you think? That could be awkward. Yeah, don't tug at that thread. No. Anyway, we're going to move awkwardly from there to Star Trek – the Next Generation, Season 5, as well as Unification. Why wouldn't we? I don't know why we wouldn't. Well, you know, we've reviewed all these Star Trek Next Generation Blu-ray sets, and they have been doing a fantastic job fixing these things up. I mean, I was so scared these would never come out for a long time because all the effects were shot on video, and there were transfer problems, and they had lost so many things. The original Masters apparently didn't look very good anymore. Uh, they hadn't been well taken care of. They have just made these look terrific. And season five, well, well, certainly not the best of the Star Trek seasons, is nowhere near the bottom of the barrel either. It's really, really a good season. If for no other reason than one, one of the, probably the top, in the top three of all time Star Trek episodes, all time, is the inner light, which Picard lives uh, out yeah. an entire another lifetime because of an alien satellite that sort of beams his identity into, well, I, I don't want to spoil it for you. But it's one of those that you're going to cry and go like – it actually – I believe it won the Emmy. That episode alone won an Emmy, but I'm not entirely sure about that. I know it did win like a very science fiction awards as well as the two-part unification, which is the first time in one of these sets that they – they've been lately separately releasing like the last episode of a season and the first one. So you don't have to wait for the next Blu-ray season to come out like, you Mm -hmm. know, the to-be-continued episode. This is the first time they've released separately one of these that is actually – all together there on the original set. It's right in the middle of the <laughs> so, season. So it's, it's inexplicable as to why they felt they needed to release it separately. You're like, why? <laughs> um, but that being said, that series was the return of Spock, Leonard Nimoy coming in as a character with a great two-part run with uh, Picard and Data posing as Romulans on the Romulan home planet, trying to figure out why Spock has basically disappeared from the Federation and is hiding out on Romulus. Really good two-parter. Ties into previous episodes, such as the Sarek episode, and ties a big way into future episodes to come. A lot of good surprises there. A lot of fun. The rest of the season, is it's hit and miss. I mean, there's really good episodes on here, like Darmok, where Picard has to learn to communicate with an alien cap- captain who only speaks in metaphors, played by Paul Winfield, huh. before... Like, like, they have no idea how to communicate. They can both hear each other in their language, but the structures don't make sense. 
So he's like, what are you, what the fuck are you talking about? And they have to do it on an alien planet. So it's like us trying to talk to each other after a few shots. No, no, we understand each other perfectly. It's like us trying to talk to our significant others after a few shots. Boom. Why aren't we together? I I don't Uh, want to go down this road. uh, Ensign Rowe is introduced here, of course, who is uh, Ensign Rowe Lauren, who ended up becoming a major character in the series and originally was supposed to go into the Deep Space Nine spinoff, but decided, the actress decided not to. So they moved on from that. Return of the Silicon Avatar, who of course was a major villain monster in the lore, Data's twin brother lore episodes that mm. came much earlier. The return of Wesley, who is surprisingly not that irritating, and gets to get his first <laughs> kiss with Ashley Judd in one of her first roles. Wow. Yeah, I know. You're like, whoa, Ashley Judd. Lucky good, bastard. Good job, Wesley. <laughs> I've actually heard Will Wheaton talk about that on The Nerdist before, where he's like, oh, yeah, you don't think I was excited about that? <laughs> Come on. She wasn't even famous then, and I was excited about it. True story. A uh, lot of good stuff in here, but there's also a bit of the, like, trying a little too hard to be sensitive stuff. A lot of stuff with kids. Like, there's the episode where Picard's trapped in an elevator with a bunch of kids. And even though he doesn't like kids that much, he's got to figure out how to get past that to, to help it's them. It's a bottle episode. Uh, Data saves the life of an orphan boy who starts to pretend he's an android, and so Data has to hang out with him constantly. Worf's son, Alexander, ends up joining the cast. You know, And any time a show this late in the series adds a kid to the cast permanently... Always a little scary. It fortunately never ruins the Did nobody the show. learn from Cousin Oliver? Did nobody learn <laughs> the mistakes of the Brady Bunch? But all throughout, there's actually really good stuff in here. And this is a terrific season. If I have a complaint here overall, it's just that they're kind of running out of really cool bonus features to add. I mean, Because the they've been loading up the well, other The first releases, two sets yeah. are the ones you want for bonus features. The first two seasons are phenomenal with the stuff on here. At this point, they've got the regular mission overview type stuff, some deleted scenes, production uh, departmental briefings on each disc, uh, a few audio commentaries, a tribute to Gene Roddenberry, which is on this one, which, you know, I mean, we've seen stuff like this a lot of times beforehand. A look past, a look at the most famous guest stars who's been on here, a look at the alien language developed for the screen. Gag reel, which is always a lot of fun, but the big piece, because everyone's got the one big documentary, and this this time it is uh, the music of Star Trek: The Next Generation. So it uh, it, it looks it gets the author of the music. Can you believe there's a book called The Music of Star Trek? But there is. It gets the author of that sits down with several of the composers who talk about yada yada the, the, the music. And oddly, there. the owner operator of the Saturn Three fan website is on here. I don't know why. <laughs> Still fun. I mean, you're wondering yourself now, why would I buy the separate unification two-part, which has a really cool cover, if mm-hmm. no other reason. Well, I'm not sure either, but, <laughs> but frankly, why you would. I mean, there's a couple different things that weren't on. There's audio commentary. There's a making, 16-minute making of thing on here, one deleted scene, but that's about it. Honestly, this is one of these where you... Like, it doesn't make that much sense to buy it because before it was like, oh, well, I don't want to wait for the next Blu-ray set. I want to go ahead and see what happens in part episode one of the next season that continues it. This is right in the middle of the season. This one, it's not that big a surprise because this season ends with Time's Arrow part one where they find Data's head in a cave on a planet and they have to go back to, like, the Old West and shit. And it's not the world's best two-parter in the history of this (laughs) series. So I can kind of see why they said, you know what, maybe we won't make that the separate one. But either way, great purchase. You know, Star Trek, man. Star Trek Next Generation. Great show all the way through. Yeah, there's some missteps here with cuteness, but there's a new Borg episode and a really good one, too. I recommend it. That's our review, and we're (coughs) sticking to it. 
And from there, we're going to talk about good old Frida. Good old Frida. Right. One of the films that's on some people's list for best documentary this year, now coming out on Blu-ray. And I, you know, I love the Beatles. I was like, they always say, what are you, Beatles or Elvis man? Or sometimes alternately a Beatles or Stones man. Um, either way, I'm a Beatles guy. Grew mm-hmm. up with the Beatles. First band I ever really got into as a kid. My parents had Sgt. Pepper's, played it all the time. Loved them. Read a lot of books about them. Seen a lot of movies on them. Never really thought anything about the secretary of the fan club. The person basically in charge. <laughs> and and of honestly, the fan why club. would you? Well, because she was one of their best friends, apparently. She spent, like, like early on, she met them early in their career. Uh, the, their really, you know, I mean, famous manager, Brian Epstein, was like, okay, you're the one that's just a fan. You know, I was like, uh, oh, really? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and she went on to go, be with them throughout their entire career. And, you know, I mean, as it's made clear throughout the film, even though oddly Paul McCartney never makes an appearance, Ringo Starr does, that she was really beloved by everybody involved with this. Like, she ran the magazine that came out, answered all the fan mail, uh, went with them on tour wherever they went. Just had an extremely close relationship, and this is the first time she's ever talked about any of this period of stuff. Hmm. She's a very friendly, very lovable older lady now who has a ton of, like, memorabilia no one's ever seen before, like, really private stuff. And they put together a documentary that's actually a really fun perspective on the experience of the Beatles and what was going on around it in a way that no one's ever really talked about before. I think even if you're not really a big Beatles fan, just in the context of something talking about being around that kind of fanaticism for a band, it could be sure. any number of things, is quite fascinating. And like I said, she's a very – like at the end of this, she says, and that's the last time I'm ever going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so you might want to see it because I'm just saying. Go for it. Uh, this was culled from almost 50 hours of interview footage and can't, bro- broke it down to 87 minutes. Includes a lot of never-before-seen photographs of the Beatles and those close to them. It's also the very first documentary ever to get the license to use the original Beatles songs. And that's entirely because Frida basically contacted Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr or whoever, whoever was in charge at that point. It's like, look, somebody, I'm in this. Please let us use these songs. They're like, come on, good old Frida. That's pretty awesome. We got to hook her up. Yeah. So this is actually a a quite good documentary um, filled with deleted scenes and the extra commentary from Frida Kelly. So obviously wasn't the last she was ever going to talk about it. And the director (laughs) uh, screening Q&A with her uh, interview with the director, photo gallery, a great like you don't usually see that many extras on a documentary. So they really put this together well. And it's a fascinating look behind the scenes. At the Beatles. The right Beatles. On. The Beatles. Hey, Beatle. I think it's a documentary you should check out. Uh, and that's going to bring us to the last title of the evening, which is also going to be our giveaway. And that is The Simpsons Season 16. Okay, now I have a theory Uh-oh. about The Simpsons. Okay. You know what? Everybody all has at that point. They say, no, this is when The Simpsons got not as good. Oh, this is when The Simpsons got not as good. I don't think The Simpsons really ever got not as good. What it has to do with is you can only watch any given half-hour comedy show for so long mm-hmm. before you just get burnt out on the humor and it's just not as funny to you anymore. So it's really not about when the show got bad. It's when you reach that point of no return. Exactly. With the, you know, the, what do they call that? The diminishing returns. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I find now when I go back and watch The Simpsons, uh, you know, new stuff or old stuff, I have a great time with it for a day or two. And then I'm like, all right, that's enough. I'm yeah. done with it for a while again. Sure. You know, you just get, all right, I know what they do and they do it well, but I know it back and forth by heart. And season 16 is still a, a solid season of the show, I think. 
<laughs> I mean, you've got the sure. starts with Triassic Horror with the the Ned Zone, which is their takeoff of the Dead Zone with Ned Flanders, where where he you know gets the power to foresee doom. Four mm-hmm. beheadings with a funeral with Lisa and Bart investigating the murders of Victoria era England's most prolific prostitutes, and in the belly of the boss with the Simpsons go on a fantastic voyage through Mister Burns' body to <laughs> rescue Maggie after she gets shrunk down into a pill and ingested. Um, you know, I don't know how much there is to say about the, this, really. I mean, it's – you look through – if you look online and look through the list of this episode, there's going to be a lot of the ones you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that one. Oh, that was good. Oh, that one not so good. I mean, it's a, it's a typical mix of episodes, uh, sure. qualities of any given season of the show. Uh, and I don't see any reason why this wouldn't be a good collection to any given person's DVD collection. Absolutely. It's one of the best things about owning a Simpsons set. Like I said, sometimes you just got a lazy Sunday. You're like, I just want to laugh for a couple hours, watch something mindless. Simpsons, no matter what season it is, is always going to be a good choice to just shove it in and go, next episode. And they, next st- episode. they still haven't run out of characters to put on the covers. Now yeah. it's it's Dr. Frank for this particular – or Professor Frank for well, this particular one. And part of the reason I think well, there's a really good episode in here called Future Drama where Frank has that future machine and Bart and Lisa see their lives in the year 2013. I like that one a lot. Yeah, that's a really good episode. <laughs> Even though we've been watching, watching the show now and it is 2013 and their lives are not actually like that. Yeah. No, it's funny how many times the show kind of trips over itself when – I don't think anyone on The Simpsons ever expected, nor do they continue to expect that the show will continue on as yeah. long as it has and does. But uh, that that always makes me laugh. But we do have a Blu-ray copy of The Simpsons, the 16th season, to give away. And uh, I've constructed it in what I think is a nifty little little end around to... Uh, excellent. Excellent. To win this particular uh, prize. What you're going to do is you're going to want to make sure that you're following one of us net on Twitter. That's at one of us net. And then what I'm going to have you do is tweet at us what you would put on the uh, the chalkboard. You know how Bart starts every episode writing, I will not, or I do this, or whatever it is? Sure. I want you to come up with what you would be writing on that chalkboard in the intro. It could be anything you want. I like it. And you're going to hashtag that Simpsons giveaway, and then also hashtag one of us, Nat, if it fits. If not, then just Simpsons giveaway. Um, but Gary yeah. Busey was a guest star on this season. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, tweet at one of us now what you would be right. Just write what – you don't have to say I would write. Just write whatever it is. Um, and then, yeah, just tweet that at us with the hashtag Simpsons giveaway, hashtag one of us net. Sweet. And we'll just pick our favorite. Wow, this was a good episode. There was a lot of good stuff this time around, mm-hmm. a few shitty things. A few but shitty things. overall, a lot of stuff to really recommend this this time around. And, uh, boy, we have got a lot of remote viewing coming up for uh, – remote viewing <laughs> a lot of digital noise coming up for you in the near future as you've got to keep your eyes open for more installments of All I Want for Geekmas coming out regularly on the site as we go into more topics of the best Blu-rays, DVDs, and box sets of the year. Yeah, we're going in-depth on genres. We're going into TV. Like, it's going to be... It's going to be... Uh, it's just wacky, let's it, face it. Yes, it's, it's, it's going to be encompassing. Yes. All encompassing. So thanks a lot for uh, for listening. I'll remind you once again, we're on iTunes. Just search one of us net in the podcast section. You can also find us on Twitter. This show is actually at DigiNoiseCast, or I am at Salisbury. I am at Chris Cox Critic, or on Facebook, you can find me at Christopher Lawrence Cox Web Critic. There you go. And then, of course, uh, the show itself has its own Facebook account, facebook.com slash digitalnoise.oneofus. Um, that's actually usually where we post the the letterbox, so you can go in there and ask the questions for the shows. So go ahead and like that on Facebook. We've had a, like I said, we've had a big influx of new followers, new likes on, on Facebook. We hope that uh, – we. I think I know the reason why, and I hope all I can say is that I hope that 
we continue to be, or for some of you, are a new place for you to get your your new daily geek fix. You know, where we'll be here. We'll be providing you stuff. Hopefully, you will feel at home here. And more new stuff on the way. Some stuff you were really hoping we were going to do. It's coming. Oh, my goodness. So many announcements coming soon. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this show. And, again, welcome to all of our new followers. And just make sure you wipe your feet before you come in. <laughs>